welcome to Creative Piecemeal Podcast, a podcast for creatives. I'm your host, Tammy Takeishi. Join me for compelling conversations with artists, actors, authors, musicians, and other creatives about the impact of the creative and fine arts in their lives and our ever-changing world. Thank you for listening. Consider saving the lives of the popular wiener dog breed, also known as Dachshunds. One such organization is Dachshund Rescue of Houston. They're an entirely volunteer-based 501c3 organization that rescues and rehomes dogs through their foster network. If you'd like to learn more or to make a donation, visit dro.org. That's D-R-O-H dot org. And thanks always for listening. Hello and welcome to a fresh episode of Creative Piecemeal. My name is Tammy Takeishi. Today I'm joined with Chef Jacqueline Meyer. Jacqueline Meyer is the chef, owner, and manager of Broth and Brine, a dedicated craft kitchen, and she is a gluten-free personal chef as well, and a food and wellness consultant. She intercedes for clients on their healing journeys using a food-as-medicine approach. Jacqueline Meyer holds a Master of Science degree in secondary education from Indiana University, as well as a Bachelor of Arts degree in Journalism and Spanish. She has always held a passion for the culinary world, cooking, and world travel. And through food, perspective is downloaded and peoples are united. At the core of her mission today, it is to inspire others with knowledge and skills for healing true root imbalances using food as the first line of intervention and prevention. And in the show notes, you can read her full bio as well as access links to her businesses and websites. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello, Tammy. Happy to be here with you today. Thanks. It's really great to be able to pick your brain, especially as someone who's eaten and loved your food. Thank you. So we're going to start off with who or what inspired you to become a chef? Part of a journey, I think, as most things in life are, especially with intersections where maybe our talents and passions, creativities meet with our background or even our messes in life. You know, as that true saying goes, your mess becomes your message. And that is definitely the case with me. So food has always been a passion of mine, as in cooking food, eating food, the socialization around it. I was always the person in college hosting the dinner parties and cooking for my friends and things like that. As a classroom teacher, I cooked for my students all the time. We studied a lot about cultures through looking at the the foods of different cultures, the symbolism, the meaning, the holidays, all of it. It just has always been so interesting to me. And even my core family growing up, food was it was just part of the loving bond of your family. You know, you had your traditions center around food, holidays, celebrations. Food is always a part of it. It's always about what are we going to eat in order to mark this special event in our lives. So food has always held a, a very important place in my life. But as as a career, I mean, in, in college, I, you know, I went a different direction. I pursued a journalism degree. Communications have always been important to me. I've always been um, super interested in the creative arts. So it was all about writing, researching, photography, world travel, just all of these interests 
you know, caused me to pursue a, a career in journalism. I'm always also a huge advocate for justice and, you know, just making sure that, that we do have the protection of the First Amendment and that, you know, our society is who watches the watchdog. It's supposed to be the journalist. So that's super important to me, too, just on a um, personal level. And then um, I've always had a heart for teaching, just knowledge, putting it into action. That's what it meant for me to be an educator. So educators can impart knowledge, but mostly for an educator, we teach people how to learn. So it never really mattered the subject content as much as it mattered. Am I, am I empowering people? So when you take all of that, the empowering, the knowledge, the travel, the information, you know, just my, my passions, my interest in cultures, languages, societies, diversity, all, all the importance that food held in my life and, and kind of put that all together. Through a series of events in my life, I desired a career change and that's where it all came together for me. So all of that hit with food as medicine. And it just occurred to me, you know, there's not a lot of places at that time, you know, you, McDonald's and Wendy's and fast food places were part of the problem. They were contributing to what was going wrong in our society. People didn't have a huge connection in their life with food. Where did our food come from? How was our food grown? How was it prepared? Food manufacturing just sort of took on a life of its own and no one was questioning, you know, these ingredient labels with 52 different ingredients and, and most of them things you cannot pronounce. And so through a really serious interest and a, and a strong look at, for me, autism and gut brain disorders and autoimmune disease and things like that, I just discovered that it's all about the food. Like if we have to get our food right, we have to get back to the basics of whole foods cooking again, you know, really getting in and, and, and taking a look at what we are putting into our bodies. All of that just sort of came dawning on me, you know, in oh, 2000, basically 2000 to 2010 era. And then finally in 2013, I launched my GF personal chef business. And sort of, as they say from there, everything else has been, you know, history. And then we opened Broth and Rhine Craft Kitchen in December of 2020. And so that just to sort of, you know, to show you my journey as to how it was I, I came to be a chef. And so I do, I call it, a, I am a wellness chef. So the reason is, yes, I chef and I produce meals and foods and new recipes and things like that. But at the same time, it's also all about food as medicine and using our food as a biohack and a way to heal ourselves. It sounds like an amazing journey. And even though you went through different paths to find where you ended up, it seems like everything really inspired and made a lasting impact in, in how you you know, how you run your business and, and how you interact with food. Yes, for sure. I mean, I just see, you know, over and over, that's how life works for people. Our lives at any given time are just a pinnacle of everything we've gone through up until that point. So that's part of the, just the entire creative process of, you know, life itself. Oh, for sure. For sure. You know, it's, it's messy, but it's beautiful. And, and yes, you know, it's like, you got to trust the process and, and see where it ends up. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. I think it's fantastic that you, you know, made the leap and pursued a passion. And like you said, did a career change based on something that you love, something that you're passionate about. Yes, that was super important for me. I took a year to just sort of step back. I, I was a new mother, so I had a young child. So, you know, I, I was focusing on being a young mom, but 
at this or a, a mom of a young child. But at the same time, I knew I wanted to make that change. And so I did. I took a year to just do a lot of I think personal exploration because I have always been a creative person and had so many different interests that it was like, okay, where am I where am I gonna focus? How, how do I want to do this? And so by and large, there was one exercise that I did and it just really has stuck with me. I've even shared it numerous times with people, but it was a very simple exercise. I wish I remembered the name of the author that I could attribute it to, but basically you take the sheet of paper and split it into four quadrants. And in one of the quadrants, you list your talents. So it's like those abilities that you seemingly were born with or that you just developed an aptitude for super early, you display these early talents. Then in another quadrant, you put your interests and your passions, just things that you know, you're just, you would do whether someone paid you or not. You just love to do it. Put that in um, another quadrant. Then you go to a third quadrant and you put your education. What did you study? What has been your career track or your path? And then in the fourth quadrant, you list your knowledge and your skills. Like what have you gained knowledge in and what are your actual soft skills that you're able to bring to a table? And so once you get those quadrants completed, then you draw a circle where all four of those quadrants intersect and you look for overlaps. And so where you find an overlap or a theme that's commonly recurring in each of the four quadrants, there is your, you know, your calling, if you will, or part of your destiny somehow. And that's how I arrived at switching over to food as medicine. That's fantastic. I'm just making a note of this. That sounds like a really great exercise for anyone to do, you know, as whether they're going off to college for the first time or wanting to make yes. a career change or, or even if they're wanting to look for a hobby or something to sort of fill their mind. Yes, absolutely. And I, that's one of the things I loved about it because it wasn't necessarily that you had to pursue it for money or talent or, or career, you know, it was just everything together. It's like, how am I going to spend my time? What am I going to dedicate myself to? So whether it is as a career or just, you know, somewhere where you're volunteering or serving or creating, it doesn't matter. You can adapt that quadrant system to whatever your intention is. Well, I'm very glad and my stomach is very glad that you landed on, on being a chef. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's fun. I mean, it, it's the joy of my life, honestly, to cook for someone. There's just nothing that compares to it. And then also on the flip side of that, in working with clients and seeing them heal, you know, so you have someone come in and they're tired and they're weighed down and they're, they've lost hope, you know, they might be depressed, they don't feel well, they're in pain. And then you, you get to guide and journey with someone and you see them making these food changes. You see them learning then making the food changes and then the vibrance returns. Their skin gets lighter and brighter. Their eyes wake up. You know, you start seeing the life return. The depression lifts. They have hope again. They start sharing information with their loved ones and family members. And there's just, there's no greater reward than helping someone heal. Is, is what I found for myself. Yeah, it really is so powerful. You know, food is powerful. Nature is powerful, you know. Yes. Just being immersed in the arts, even, you know, it does, it does so much for the mind and for the body, you know, in terms of just healing and, and just being 
sound. I would agree with that. Seeing through travel and things, you know, you discover these new perspectives. So, I mean, if we only stay in our own little bubbles all the time, then we only see the things the way that we see them and in the way that we've experienced them. So then I, you know, when you travel, you change your experiences. So then you get a new perspective on things. And it's just really interesting how, you know, the world just sort of opens up and you see the role that food plays and healing plays. And it just, it just changes everything about the way you do things back home, in my opinion. I have not had a chance to travel the world yet, but it's one of those things on my bucket list because I love the idea of experiencing other cultures and, and, you know, getting to know people. So what is something that you love most about your travels? like a certain place or a recipe or something like that? I have so many memories. And like I was saying, you know, they, they do revolve around food. I, I, I mean, I could give several examples. Like my, my very favorite nature place on earth is in New Zealand. And when I visited New Zealand, I was like, this is where I want to retire. I want to come back here. This land is meant for me. I mean, it's very natural there. Um, you know, there's just, there's just, it just feels so balanced and easy access to healing. You know, you've got the sunlight, the mountains, the beaches, the rolling grass hills. You don't see a lot of processed foods in New Zealand. You don't see the country having been overtaken by fast food systems, etc. I really enjoyed that about New Zealand. Food-wise, I mean, just for me, it's all about the Mediterranean. I I love Mediterranean, you know, from west to east, everything in between the entire Mediterranean circle. That's why I chose that particular location to model, you know, our menu at Broth and Brine after. But I'm a Spanish teacher, so I've, you know, traveled Mexico and Central America, and there's just no culture on earth that food has the, the electricity like it does in Central America, in Latin America. So you just, you know, that's just so magnetic to me. I just love the joy, um, the humility, the, um, the measure of a good day. You know, like when I was in Guatemala, for example, you had some of the poorest of the poor but they weren't poor. So it's like, that's what one of the things I'm saying when you change your perspective. So by an American standard, these people would be very poor, materially speaking. But once you get those bonds, you meet people, you see the way that they live and you see their joy for life. And the measure of a good day was, did we eat well? And it just, you know, you, you quickly, quickly see that developing nations have a peace and um, a satisfaction, a comfort that does not exist in a developed nation like the United States, where we tend to take things for granted, where we tend to have too much, where excess becomes almost a curse in some ways. Too much choice, you know, where you have people standing around wasting time trying to make a selection on something when sadly anyone will work. It doesn't matter. You go with any color on that wall, it will work. It will just be happy you have a color or you, you have happy that you have a nice meal on your plate. Those are things that stand out in my mind. You know, this is a little old lady. There was a little city in Guatemala called Antigua. She had a little house um, on the main street. She didn't have a sign, but everyone knew she sold tamales and that you could get them homemade tamales and you could buy them on Friday nights. You know, so like that's where you go. And so, you know, you travel and you learn those things and you just, you know, here's this American woman showing up on this old lady's front porch on Friday night to get one of her tamales. And it's indeed one of the most memorable and best tamales that, you know, that, that, that particular taste 
that's that photo, that snapshot can never be duplicated in my opinion. So then it, you know, that just stands out. The same thing, you know, traveling in Spain and you get to um, eat that seafood paella right on the, the main street of Ras, Las Ramblas and in Barcelona. And, you know, never, be, never again will, will you probably have that very same opportunity. That paella, that jar of sangria, perfect afternoon and you're sitting with friends. So, you know, you just, you just think back. It's always intertwined with the food and the people but it's always about the connection and food is the thing that connects us. And that sounds wonderful. You know, being able to experience the culture that way, making memories. Yes. The experiences yes. last a lifetime. That's it. That's, that's, that's all, you know, that it is for me is um, the experience of it all coming together for sure. And when you're in such a state of enjoyment, time stops for that moment, you know, time stops, you're in it, you're in the, in the flow of it. And, and that's the richness of life. If you've been feeling burned out, stressed, overwhelmed, or exhausted, the resources and courses at the Self-Care Institute are here to support you. The Self-Care Institute was founded by Dr. Ami Kunimura and provides support for individuals and organizations with burnout prevention, burnout recovery, and stress management. I've personally taken a few of these courses and found them to be super helpful, both professionally and personally. The care you give yourself matters just as much as the care you give to others. But if self-care is difficult for you, you're not alone. And the Self-Care Institute is here to support your well-being, resilience, and sense of fulfillment at work and at home. For more information, visit selfcareinstitute.com or go to the show notes and click on the link. Would you say you have an absolute favorite dish that you like to make for yourself? No. So first of all, making dishes for myself. No, it's all about making a dish for someone else. Okay. So people might be surprised. Like how does a chef eat <laughs> when he or she's not at work? <laughs> so, I mean, you know, the home kitchens really don't get used. <laughs> that is surprising. Yeah. I mean, for me, there's just no time, you know, it's like my, my days are 12 hours, Monday through Friday, start, you know, start at eight, end at eight. And so by the time you get off your feet, it's the last thing you want to do is stand on your feet longer. And then weekends are, you know, errands and rest and emails and invoices and paperwork and catching up and trying to live uh, like, a, you know, some kind of what you would think would be a relaxation moment or, you know, a stolen hike or, you know, just something like that. So oftentimes, you know, food is a backseat, <laughs> sadly, for that reason. They always say, whatever you do for a living, you don't want to do when you're not at work. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes, yeah, we'll starve or, um, you know, it'll be like cheese and crackers out of the refrigerator. <laughs> but loving to cook um, for other people. Uh, and I have to say, this is one thing that got started when I was in college. My sister went to college three years or two, sorry, two years before I did. So I would love to go visit her on the weekends. She's a starving college student, but it became this challenge for me to make a meal for her based on whatever I could find in her apartment. So, you know, we would take the most random items and put together these, what we would call gourmet meal and sit down and enjoy it. And so again, for me, it's about the creativity. 
I just love that that challenge of how resources come together, even even a potluck, even you know, five of us get together and we all contribute something to a meal, and suddenly we have this beautiful piece of art on the table, and we've all had a moment in creating that. I'll just speak to broth and brine for a moment because that I mean that's that's a pinnacle right now in putting that restaurant together because it is a food as medicine concept. I love now at this point in my life, I love for a meal to be memorable and fantastic, but yes, it's got to have a good flavor and yes, it's got to be well-prepared, but I, I also like it to be, you know, something that's, um, it just feels healing at the same time. And so for me, it is about this gut health and it is about using broth age old, you know, even, even they it said the cavemen, you know, existed on broth. It's something about cooking, long cooking meat and all of its, I mean, the entire animal, the entire carcass from the meat to the bones, the connective tissue, the organs, the skin, all of it, putting it in a pot, slow simmering it over time and really extracting all of those nutrients out of it. Then con consuming that reserve, that broth that's been strained or filtered, something so healing about that. So I just love to take that broth. You can either drink it by itself or you can make soups, stews, gravies, sauces. I mean, the sky's the limit. Finding a way to integrate that broth into your, your diet every single day. Um, and so when you say, what do I enjoy, you know, cooking with? I do love the Mediterranean flavors. Absolutely. I love fresh cooking. Nothing that's pretentious. It's not about, and I respect it, believe me. I mean, I respect the most pretentious French chef in the world you can find. That's a whole other version. That's a whole other level of creativity. And that's, and I find that to be amazing. But the, the wonderful thing about food is it's universal and it exists at any level. So, um, I mean, we can bring any group of people together with one meal. We can serve a French chef and the most simple, humble person walking down the street. We can put everybody at the same table and unite everybody with one meal. That's what makes me happy. And, um, and if I do something new or different in the process, I love it. I'm not one of those people who keeps making the same meal over and over again. I did start as a personal chef, so... One of, you know, my GF personal chef slogan is food ruts be gone because as humans, we do tend to eat the same things. And as Americans, even though we do have so much variety, we do tend to get stuck in food ruts. We keep going through the same drive through every day until we just get so sick of it. And then we just switch to a new drive through or a new little hole in the wall or whatever, but we keep eating the same way and the body needs diversity in its nutrients. That's one thing that I like to do is to keep things fresh and keep things changing. And so we do this, we'll do the same thing at Broth and Brine. Like we had our opening menu, which was our winter menu. And now we've switched over to our late spring, summer menu. And then again, in the fall, we'll change again. Because people also need to understand that you don't eat the same thing year round. We might have our standards, like our chicken shawarma, it might be year round. But our soup profiles will change. There will be, you know, uh, the entire menu will change based on the season. And that completely makes sense because, you know, there's different foods that are more ripe in one season than the other. And, yes. you know, it just follows the course of nature. Yes, it absolutely does. And there is that school of thought. You know, A true paleo diet, for example, is about eating food that's in season. So, you know, when you, you only eat the apples when they're in season, well, a lot of Americans can't even tell you when apples are in season. They've grown up with having apples on store shelves year round. 
You know, I used to cover that with my, my students. Be like, where do you think apples come from when you don't grow them in your area? Like, show me an apple orchard. You know, not every area has apple orchards or not every area knows the ideal climate for growing an apple. And then the other thing people didn't realize was that growing seasons are opposite the Northern Hemisphere to the Southern Hemisphere. You know, we learned about that too when we went to New Zealand. The toilets do flush different. They swirl what we would say is backwards, right? <laughs> the New Zealanders would say, no, they swirl the right way. <laughs> but ju just those, just the changing of those perspectives, you know, to say that when you eat in season, then there is that natural health component. Body does love that that summer crop of tomatoes versus trying to supply an unhealthy tomato in an off season if that makes sense. You know, we can all taste the difference between a ripe fruit versus an unripened fruit or a dead fruit versus a vibrant fruit. That is part of health, is learning to select produce and selecting produce that's alive, that's been allowed to ripen naturally. Some of these things are getting very difficult right now. Supply chain issues, and just um, food manufacturing and food logistics of getting food from one side of the country to the other or imported from one country to another. And all of the farming techniques that are coming in, you know, they're developing the chemicals that they spray. So they pick the tomatoes when they're unripened, then they spray them. So in transit, they're turning from green to red or on a store shelf, you know, but nobody's looking to see what is the effect of that chemical that's being sprayed to unnaturally ripen those tomatoes, as an example. Yes. And I remember learning about, I think they call it the dirty dozen, you know, yes. different fruits that are not as healthy versus other fruits regarding chemicals and things. Yes, and that's something that we go by as well. Some things are not available in organics, and then other times they are available, but they're not a good quality just because it's like, oh, am, am I going to buy the rotten avocado because it's organic? You have to make choices. And going back, going back to what you said, there is a group called the Environmental Working Group, and they do produce annually that list of the Clean 15 and the Dirty Dozen. They also do a seafood guide as well. So they let us know which fish have been overfished, which populations are suffering, which fish populations are overfarmed. And you know, there's a whole belief system that farmed fish is not healthy, that they've had to have an entire series of antibiotics just to keep them alive while they're in the fish farm tanks. So I mean, there's just a lot, a lot of different factors to look at when you're picking a food. And as a restaurateur, that becomes even more difficult because, you know, you have the principles by which you live and you want to teach people and you want your business to, to project that and to practice that. You know, we want to live the lifestyle that Broth and Brian is, is saying is the healthy lifestyle. We want all of that. But at the bottom line, we also are a business and we have to keep our doors open restaurant margins are not large. And then when you take a fine niche of a restaurant like food as medicine, and you're making ingredient choices, lists like that clean 15 versus the dirty dozen become super important. So it's like we have very limited resources, very little wiggle room, especially in this post COVID era that we're in. And we're like, we, we mentioned the supply chain issues. We are seeing supply chain issues. Certain things you cannot get anymore, or there's a delay 
we're also just seeing food costs like skyrocketing. Across the board, food's gone up a bare minimum of 13%. Unfortunately, in our industry, you know, sometimes you're seeing some things go up 30%. And so when your margin ever was only 15%, your profit margin was over only 15% for food to go up 30%. I mean, now you're paying people to come and eat at your restaurant, <laughs> if that makes sense. So we, we do have to make choices. You know, and so if it's, am I going to buy organic spinach or am I going to buy organic broccoli? I can't afford to do both. So which one, which one am I going to choose to go the route on? It's going to be spinach versus broccoli because broccoli is on the clean 15 list versus spinach and other leafy greens. They're highly sprayed. They have to use a lot of pesticides. They're a huge focus for, you know, insects to live off of those leaves. So they do get sprayed more heavily. So yeah, we'll put our money towards the organic spinach, the organic salad, lettuce, things like that, and have to make other choices elsewhere. And as a person who is not good at cooking, I definitely appreciate having a restaurant in the area that that does that. They you you do the hard work for me. You know, you do the research, you go out, you get the ingredients that are healthy so that when I want to partake in a meal, I know that I'm getting a clean, clean eating. Yes. And I, I, I love that. I, I love that, um, that you're able to see that and appreciate that too. I mean, that's building that level of trust. You know, that's, that's what all I ever wanted with this restaurant. I wanted to be a neighborhood kitchen so that I know you live nearby. There's a couple other neighborhoods that surround, you know, and I, I'm getting to know people. I love that they walk in. I've seen them before that, you know, their family's coming to depend on us on a Tuesday night or a Thursday night or, or whenever it fits their schedule. Certain physicians offices that are around us in the Conroe area, they're starting to order lunches for their office groups, things like that. And so that's really meaningful to me that we're developing those relationships not only because I'm getting to feed people, but then they're they're turning around and trusting us. You know, to say like you said that you are doing the work, you are you are doing the work for us, and that means everything that we have that level of trust from people. Yes, and I mean, even a year ago during the pandemic, what I noticed is when we were cooking at home versus picking up. Um, you know, the blood pressure was better and, and the weight dropped and, and, you know, you didn't feel as tired. And even though it wasn't complex, you know, it might be something in the crock pot. Yes. There were, there were those immediate differences and it's, it, but it is hard work. It really is hard work to eat clean, especially in this day and age. And like you said, you know, finding things that are affordable and healthy. Yes. Affordable, healthy, in stock. And then also just keeping things fresh for yourself. It's like you have people, they learn their one or two meals and then they repeat that every week and then they get tired of it. You know, so then that's why you see them back out to a different restaurant for sometimes breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, Houston is a, it is a restaurant city. So it's just part of the culture here as a personal chef. I mean, I have clients who literally have never turned on their oven in their kitchen. I tell these stories all the time. I mean, I've been in $10 million homes, $15 million homes, and they don't know how to, to turn on their appliances because they don't eat at home. They certainly don't cook at home. <laughs> so it's good for the personal chef, but that just shows you how much, you know, our, our society has come to depend on eating out, which is fine, but it also serves as showing us how disconnected we have become from our food. Mm -hmm. And that's really what, even though Broth and Brine is a restaurant, 
one of the things that I really want to keep going is that people understand that connection to their food. Ask the questions. What are what is what are the um, sources of the ingredients? So food labels, like are are you making your sauces? Or you know, is everything from scratch here? When you walk into a restaurant, I mean, is it believe it or not, there's a lot of restaurants that are nothing more than warming kitchens. There's no cooking being done there in the sense that everything's coming in frozen, pre-prepared, the marinades are done, the sauces are done, everything's coming in a shrink rack package that just needs to be opened and either deep fried or put on a grill. That to me is a warming kitchen. I like to see who's really using solid whole food ingredients and really cooking. Show me anywhere, I don't care. It could be a hole on the wall or a, a giant restaurant on the beach. If scratch cooking is being done, then I'm all, I already know I'm getting a healthier version of a meal than anywhere else. I remember just being pleasantly astounded and, and mesmerized when you were making something for me and I'm like, it's all from scratch. She's like, I could never do that in my life, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, I need to pick up some cooking pointers. <laughs> you know, it was just fantastic to, to see that and then to taste to taste that difference. Yes, you taste it, don't you? I mean, and not, not just coming from me, from anyone that's, mm -hmm. you know, from scratch cooking. You can taste those, the fresh flavor when the food is alive, you know, when it's in harmony, when you're hitting all those notes. You've got this, the little sweet element, the salty, all the taste of the tongue, the sweet, the salty, the bitter, and, you know, and then, and then you have that umami element that just kind of comes in there and just makes it really pop, you know, and that's really what we want from a culinary perspective. I mean, we, we try to get those colors and the umami in every dish that comes out of the kitchen. Of course. Well, it's an art, culinary art. It really is. It is an art. Absolutely. For sure. What are you anticipating for the upcoming season for Broth and Brine? Any secrets you can spill? A big menu change. So uh, personally, I will tell you, fall is my very favorite food season of the year. I think that's true for a lot of people, simply because it's connected to that bounty. You really, in a lot of areas of the world, have a nice fall bounty. But I love just the colors and the um, spices and all, everything that fall comes together to represent. And then the fact that we are entering holiday season off of that, you know, so it's a nice, just exciting time of year. You're also working on getting your vitamin D levels up and sort of tanking up for that long winter season. So you see, you know, these, I, I love soups. I love soups, stews, gravies, et cetera. And, and there's no better time than fall than to start bringing in all of these. So no real secrets to reveal, you know, menu change as usual, but it'll be, it'll be really just one of those seasons where you can just really appreciate the fall flavors. That's what I'll say. Awesome. I know I'm looking forward to it, especially as the weather gets crisper. You know, I feel like it's, you just, people enjoy food. I, I do at least enjoy food all year round, but especially when you get to fall, there's just something magical about a warm meal on a cold day, you know? You're right. And I, and I also see even the people who don't cook, they can survival cook through the summer, you know, because they, they know how to put a burger or a hot dog or something like that on the grill or a sausage and get a salad together, you know, an asparagus or a broccolini and boom, you've got a quick meal. So I see a lot of people can get through the summer survival cooking. We don't tend to eat as much because it's so hot, especially Houston. We start hitting these 90, 95 temps, you know, people's appetites go down. So yes, fall comes back around and it's like you said, it's crisper and um, people are ready, you know, ready for some more of those root vegetable type meals and 
just really getting in there to the, the braising and, um, you know, just, just lovely, lovely, heavier foods that are more well tolerated, I guess, in fall. I really like uh, that term survival cooking. I think that really encapsulates so many people because, you know, cooking is not necessarily taught anymore. You know, people don't pass right. down the traditions from the parents being like, oh, here's this family recipe. I mean, some people do. Right. But, you know, it doesn't happen as often as it used to. Yeah, it doesn't. You're exactly right. I do think one of the blessings, if you can say, that came out of COVID and all those lockdowns, especially in northern areas of the U.S. where the lockdowns, well, some areas they're still locked down, right? Let's be honest. But um, in spending all of that time at home, I do think people kind of got back in touch with cooking a little bit more. So we maybe had a little awakening as to how disconnected we've gotten from our food and our family legacy of, of recipes and things like that. But you're exactly right. I mean, life has gotten so fast and so full that we, we're not taking time to do these things anymore. And then the other component of that is that people are sick. Our, our society is not as healthy as it used to be. The stress levels, the toxicity exposures, the level of autoimmune disease that we're seeing now, you know, cancer, diabetes, lupus, celiac disease, autism spectrum disorders, ADHD, all of that. Um, multiple sclerosis. I mean, I could keep going on and on through the roof. I mean, numbers are through the roof. So people don't have the energy anymore. So it's like, you know, they're white knuckling through their week to get to their weekend. And then it's just like, ah, oh, now I have to catch up on sleep or now I'm, I'm, I'm too sick and tired to do anything about being sick and tired. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. it just becomes this vicious perpetual cycle, which is really really disappointing, but also one of the reasons why I wanted this brick and mortar restaurant, because I really wanted people to have a place where they could go and get truly nourished or inspired and feel better as a result of eating there, digest better as a result of eating there and just sort of, you know, get, get on a healing path. Because if we don't change what we're eating, if the United States doesn't wake up, and doesn't start to question what's in their food supply, if we don't take a look at labels, if we don't reject the products that have bad labels, then we're going to keep getting sicker and sicker. And that is a subject very near and, and dear to my heart. You know, and I always say, I just challenge people, if, if you want a, a real perspective difference, look up the ingredient label of, of a McDonald's chicken nugget in the United States versus the ingredient label of a McDonald's chicken nugget in Europe. Pick any country you want. Europe will not allow those type of ingredients that you will find on the United States food label. They are not allowed. And so when you compare the two, it is night and day. What should be in my chicken nugget is chicken. <laughs> you know, maybe I dip it in a, an egg wash or a buttermilk or some kind of soaking agent, and then it should go in my flour mixture, and then it should go in my clean oil. There should not be 172 different ingredients in my chicken nugget, because then it's no longer a chicken nugget. It's just a Franken food. You know, so that's why, you know, from a social perspective, from an activism perspective, that gets me hot under the collar. Like, why are we allowing this? We have to wake up and we have to say that standard is not acceptable. We deserve to have clean and safe ingredients, not only in our food, but in our toiletry supplies, in our medicines, you know, all of it. We deserve to have safety. 
in ingredients. Yes, and, and I completely agree. I mean, even though I'm not very good at cooking, I do try hard to find organic and natural products when at the store because it, it really does make a difference. Regardless of a person's genetic disposition for various things, it's just good to try it as much as you can, you know, to eat cleaner. Agreed. Of course, I'm guilty of going through drive-thrus too, because, you know, it's it's there and it's convenient and you live, right. lead a busy life, you know, but, you know, even when you're there, it's like you try to get the salads or something like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, we we have our drive-thrus too. Don't, don't get me wrong, you know, but I was like, if I had nickel for every time I said, I wish there was a place where I could go and get such and such, you know, and so whenever I was picking what broth and brine was going to have and making the menu and things, there's all sorts of competing choices, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, I went in somewhere where somebody had a convenience and though we were never going to be a restaurant with a drive-through per se, I, I mean, I, and I'm not never saying never, there may be another location in the future that does a drive-through, but at this flagship location, we were never going to have a drive-through, but we did choose to do the curbside delivery. And, and in all honesty, that was something we were going to do even before COVID hit, that we were going to have the curbside. Out of that then was born those contactless food lockers that did come out of COVID. That's a super easy way too, just to give people convenience. But that was part of my, you know, line of thinking, like how can we we rethink this fast food line because e even when restaurants have a drive-thru, if the drive-thru is not run properly, then it, you're still spending forever. Sometimes in certain locations, it's easier to park and go in than it was to wait in the drive-thru. But when it comes to convenience, the, so that's my thing. Like I want people to be able to have convenience, but also at the same time, real food takes time to cook. So those two things don't always jive. You know, I can't cook a homemade meal for you when you're waiting in my drive-through line. So one of the things we did was, you know, to enable the pre-ordering. So if somebody can anticipate, oh, I want to eat at Broth and Brian on Wednesday for lunch, as many as 30 days prior, they can put in their order online so that that meal can be ready when they get there or they can pull up and get, get get in the parking spot and we'll run the meal out. Just trying to see, you know, how can we do for people keeping the convenience as much as possible, but also letting them understand that scratch cooking takes time. Right. It's, it's like going to your family home and waiting for your mom or dad or whomever to cook, cook like a Thanksgiving meal. You know, it's going to take a while. Exactly. Um, and, you know, there we could there's a rabbit hole we could go down. I mean, <laughs> our society has lost the ability to wait on anything, but some of my best memories from childhood were waiting, you know, just that, that anticipation building and you, you know, you smell those smells of Thanksgiving coming and it, it felt like all day because it was all day, yep, yep. but then that joy and the reward, you know, getting to sit down with your family was, was huge. Some families did that every Sunday. I know some families still do that, especially in the South. That's still been luckily preserved by maybe what, two to 3% of the population. <laughs> They're still sitting down for family meals. But yes, I think that, you know, just, just getting back in touch with there are some things worth waiting. That's a good, good message to send, especially in regard to good food. And I think that applies across several of the creative arts. A piece of artwork is worth waiting for the painter to get done or, or yeah. a Beethoven symphony, you know, like he, he didn't write it in a day, you know, well, maybe, but. <laughs> 
100%. How about just, you know, going through that art gallery? You know, I, I remember taking students through, well, this was, this was in Spain. We also went through Italy, but in Spain, and they were, you know, asking why are there benches in an art gallery? <laughs> you know, I was like, what? Why is there a bench right in front of this? Well, obviously, because there's going to be a benefit if you sit down and study the piece. Sit with it, you know, just sort of stare with it and be with it. And there's going to be things come to your observation, come into your experience that you could not have felt or seen or been inspired by had you just rushed past it mm -hmm. on the wall. So for sure, you know, and that creative process, music, listen to the piece. This time I'm listening to the strings. This time I'm listening to the beat. You, you can always pick what you're listening for, but we start picking out different layers and food is the same. I mean, there's different layers in food. So hundred percent, there's even, you know, there's even uh, culinary experiences where you eat blindfolded just because your other senses get stronger. So it's like, okay, I do get to see my meal, but then I get to blindfold off. And that way I'm forced to move in on the taste that's coming through my palate and my taste gets stronger. Oh, that is very interesting. I may have to try that sometime. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm a slow eater. I like to savor when I can, because it is important to just experience, especially a really good meal, experience the food. Yes. That reminds me when you said that, you know, if another, um, story we had as a teacher we had a an exchange student from Spain when you get exchange students you'll ask them things like well what's what's on your must-do list like what are you really looking forward to doing here in the United States or here in Texas or here in Indiana when this particular kid said I want to eat in a car and we were like what what do you what you know what do you mean by that he's like well from everything that people have told me Americans eat in their cars so he's like for me to have an American experience, I want to get food and eat in a car. And it just sort of dawned on all of us. Like, so there's that perspective flip. You know, we've all grown up eating in our cars. It's no big deal. It's just what you do on the way to soccer practice or whatever. But it dawned on us how significant of an event, you know, that that would be for that particular child and how much that represents how Americans are viewed all around the world. Yeah. And, and along those lines, that really speaks to the fact that other parts of the world slow down and take their time to enjoy things. Yes. You know, I remember reading somewhere or hearing somewhere that in certain parts of Europe, they don't, they don't do coffee to go. It's right. a foreign concept. It'd be insulting to take their coffee in a coffee cup and, and go down the street with it. Absolutely. You know, insulting to put it in a paper cup, 100%. It's got to be a real cup, real silverware, a real table, real plate. Yes, that, that was, you know, my experience too. Um, even water, water should be in a glass carafe or, you know, carafe, however you say it. But they don't just bring water in a bottle to the table. It's going to be in a glass bottle, a decorative bottle, etc. Because even, I mean, especially through all of Europe, but especially the Mediterranean, food is so integrated into the experience of the good life, as they call it, la dolce vita, la vida buena, however, you know, whichever country you're in. But food is so central to that and, and inseparable. It's everything. It's the family time, the love, just all of it. And so they're never going to make those shortcuts that, that time is protected. Those street cafes and the, and the little restaurants, I mean, you know, they're 
peppered throughout Europe for a reason because it's part of the lifestyle. You know, that's never going to change. But the interesting part is that I think all of that serves health. Like when you look at the green zones in the world, where do people live the longest and where are people healthiest? Look at how they're living. You know, food is integrated. Food is whole and healthy and passed down from generation to generation. It's not manufactured. They're not consuming food additives and food ingredients that really aren't food. It's, you know, they don't have an FDA that's allowing things to be in foods that shouldn't be in food. Yeah. And they're taking that whole food and and they're making experiences and they're making memories, you know, like they're going out for anniversaries and birthdays and things of that nature, or even just a meal with a friend and enjoying the time. And and the meal is part of that memory. Yes, exactly. But yeah, it's not such a rushed culture. I don't think the United States is the only rushed culture, but more so I think there are cities in the world that are rushed but then you get outside of those cities and, and life slows down. But by and large, in the United States, yes, you can still find rural pockets where life seems slower, especially here in Texas. You know, you can, you can still find that. But as a society, nationally speaking, we are in such a rush. And I don't even know if we know why we're in a rush but that we've given up all forms of what you would call enjoyment, you know, and instead it's been replaced by what I, what maybe some people would say addictions or obsessions or habits, but where are our traditions and where is our, our, um, our connections? Those are things that we've lost. And it sounds like with your restaurant, you're trying to create a space where people can not only eat healthy, but to make memories and just slow down for a bit and sort of unplug from the world. Yes, 100%. You know, and I do occasionally get that disgruntled customer. I, there's a few that stick out in my mind. It's sad. And I, and I get it. You know, there are some people who are busy and, you know, they, they needed a quick lunch and they could have gotten it had they ordered ahead. But yeah, I mean, I, I see I see sometimes, you know, that disgruntled nature coming out once it took 10 minutes for macaroni and cheese. Well, 10 minutes is not a long time to homemade macaroni and cheese, in my opinion. But for this particular client's lunch, it was a long time. And, and I, I, again, I try to be sensitive to that, you know, but I'm like, let's slow down. Let's just slow down and realize that life is to be savored and paced. And we're, we're going to get to the end of our lives having fizzled and not have anything to look back on because we rushed and it's going to be a blur. You know, why, why for so many people are their strongest memories in childhood? Because childhood was slow because there was not that concept of stress and and needing to rush through things, you know, like, like we're doing now. Right. Right. That's one of the things I do with my daughter is don't be in a hurry to grow up. Just enjoy the moment. If you're 12 right now, enjoy being 12 and all that 12 has to offer. And 15 things of age 15 and 16 will be there when you're actually 15 and 16. And that sounds like a really healthy, it it sounds very similar to like embracing the mindfulness concept of being present in the moment, being present in enjoying where you are in life, the good, the bad, learning from it. Oh, a hundred percent. And I, I mean, I, you know, that's where I am right now. I'm trying to cling to that. I have to remind myself daily and it's not, that's on, that's on my get back to list just on a personal level because I am running two businesses and doing it all by myself. And so life is busy, you know, and I am a mom, 
and I do have pets and, you know, just things like that. There's a lots of obligations, but when you, when you don't have any more time, then you have to make better use of the time that you do have. And so, yes, it's maybe you are in a rush trying to get to work or get home from work, but you're, you're facing a beautiful sunrise or a beautiful sunset. And so for me, it's like, okay, you only got a couple seconds, but savor it when it presents itself. That's, that's the only way that I can remain mindful in this busy spinning world that we're in right now. Understandable. Where do you see yourself and your business in five years from now? The desire, the original desire was to open our Broth and Brine location in Conroe and then at about the five-year mark, open a second one in the Woodlands area. So I would love, I would love that because that to me means that the concept is working and the concept is that it's a neighborhood kitchen. And so if we can get it to work, then we can go and give other people neighborhood kitchen and, you know, really integrate. So it's about getting to connect with more people. And I would love, I'd love to be able to do that. So on a professional level, that's on my five-year walk is to be able to get Broth and Brian and Conroe to a point where we can duplicate and go somewhere else and then customize to match that area as well. That would be really awesome because as, as a person who's visited your flagship Broth and Brian, you know, it's, it's fantastic, but you know, Houston is so vast, you know, people right. can't always drive in Katie or something. Right. Exactly. And I also, you know, recognize that different areas, this also comes from being a personal chef, you know, it's like you start seeing commonalities. So I, I see pockets around our entire areas where maybe this pocket of the city needs really spicy food or, or tends to like spice. That's like a 10 out of 10 on the spice level versus this area is more of a two to three on a spice level. This area likes more ethnic foods. This area likes more Southern comfort foods. You know, you start to see these commonalities among pockets of the city. And so that's one thing that as Broth and Brine does duplicate and move, there will be room in that menu to customize for the area where it's located. That sounds like a very, very cool concept. And, you know, I look forward to seeing the longevity of your restaurant. Me too. Thank you so much. Before we go, what does it mean to you to live a creative life? Well, I believe in, in our master creator. I believe in God. And I believe that we were created in his image as humans, that humans were created in God's image. And at, as he is the master creator, I feel like even those in our society who are like science math minded, they still are in the realm of creation. So a lot of times we, we typically separate people like, oh, he's creative and he's scientific, but we all have a drive and a need to create, whether it's creating a, an art, creating a dish, writing a book, creating an experience, a process, an invention, it doesn't matter. Creativity is everywhere. So all of creation. So when you say, what does it mean to, to live a creative life? Part of it for me has always been feeling a calling. And that's wrapped up in your, your God-given talents, passions. You know, what were we equipped with? What were we born with? And how has life shaped us in order to give? So for me, just bottom line, it, creativity is uh, at, at any point in my life, what am I giving? So my expressions of creativity, um, I see are as gifts to others in my life. Excellent. And that's such a lovely sentiment to end on. 
Folks, if you happen to live in the North Houston Woodlands Conroe area, definitely check out Jacqueline's restaurant, Broth and Brine, and it is open Mondays through Fridays. And in the show notes, there will be links to her restaurant and websites so that you can learn more. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Like the show? Have a question? Stop by the Facebook and Instagram pages. Links are in the show notes or search for a creative piecemeal podcast on social media and click follow for all the latest.